Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast, covering all things Manchester United. Match previews, reports, reviews, youth roundups, loan roundups, and your questions. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast Series 2, episode 13. It is now, we're reviewing another frustrating game at Old Trafford where we dropped another two points. We also look ahead to Thursday's game against Feyenoord briefly and the first of two consecutive games at home to West Ham. Two in the space of four days, I think. Jack, we've run out of adjectives to describe our, our home form at the moment. Burnley, Stoke, Arsenal, not, not always the same problem, but the same feeling after it. Yeah, 100%. It's so frustrating to see us just keep dropping stupid points at home. Um, and in, in some ways, what makes it worse is that we really haven't played very badly in any of those games. Um, in fact, I'd argue that those three games are maybe our, some of our best performances this season. Definitely Stoke and Burnley. Arsenal, maybe not quite so much, but I thought we dealt with them very well. Um, and we've come away from with three points out of nine in those three games, three of our best performances this season. Um, and it's just so, so frustrating because you feel like this team is close to being a good side. And we just seem to never be able to get over the line in games like this, whether it's not, not being able to, to actually get the ball in the back of the net or conceding late goals or whatever it is. It's just so frustrating to have to keep re- revisiting this every week. Oh, United dropped two points at home. United dropped two points at home. Uh, it's just so frustrating. Uh, it, I mean, we need to sort it out very soon, isn't it? The first time since is it ninety two that we've drawn three three home games in a row? Yeah, I think it is. It's just that a, 
lack of ability to to kill off games is awful. I, I hate to bring it back to the Fergie days, but what else have we got to compare? I mean, I haven't gone through anything else. So what what else am I going to compare it to? Under Fergie, we were so good at killing off games, and I don't know what worries me is that this seems to be our mentality. One goal. If there's 20 minutes left, then it seems like Mourinho thinks that's enough to hold on to. I would only think that with about five minutes to go, because I know I know what we can do, and if we can score eight goals, and so can other teams. I mean, we're not special in that sense. Why are we going to fall into the trap that other teams used to fall for? And only bring like someone like Morgan Schneiderlin on. Defensive subs are brilliant if you're under the cosh, but Arsenal had a shot in the second half. He could have just killed it off with another goal because we were absolutely dominating them at that point. Um, and by maybe possibly, uh, maybe not conceding another goal, we that that's how Mourinho seems to want to kill it off. The the best way, it's very simple. The best way to kill it off, and this isn't always the case because sometimes you're under immense pressure and that that's not a possibility. But when you're not, the best way to to kill a game off is by scoring another one. Yeah, I I'd have to agree there. It's it's frustrating that we keep wanting to kill off games from such a long time out. Like you said, it's so difficult, especially against the team with the quality of Arsenal to hold hold on and sit back for 20 minutes at the end of a game. It's just not realistic to do that. And it wasn't... I, I think I think the difference is that p- people often confuse kind of sitting back and really holding on to to not really trying to create much. Um, and there is a big difference. You, you go back to, even to last season and the season before under Van Hull, we were very good in big games. And part of the reason was when we did take the lead in big games, we were so good at just keeping the ball. We weren't really going anywhere, which was the frustration for most of the season. But there were times where it actually helped because we were so good at just keeping the ball, not really looking to go anywhere. But it just kept, it just kept the pressure off us because the best way the best way to keep control of a game is just to have possession. And it seems like we were unable to do that against Arsenal. Like whenever we wanted, whenever we managed to get a few touches on the ball in the last twenty minutes, we just wanted to go forward as fast as we can to try and to try and uh, nick another goal on the counter attack. And while that is that isn't a bad option, sometimes you just need to slow the game down. You need to take the sting out of the game, and you need to just have control of it for five or ten minutes. It's just a brief spell of possession calms the team down, it calms the stadium down, and it it wastes so much time in the game as well if you're controlling the pace of it, because then you can dictate the clock, you can dictate how much time you're taking doing everything, and it's something that we we've actually I think are doing worse now than we were last season, which is not what we expected with Mourinho give credit to Mourinho and the players I think our game plan was very good against Arsenal to be fair I think we executed it pretty well very few poor performances um, but at the end of the day it's all well and good playing well for 70-80 minutes but if you can't kill off the game then it's useless and also some people are blaming uh, Marcus Rashford for, for Arsenal's equaliser and it seems to me if you if we are going to go for that what seems to be an unsensible tactic of of trying to kill off a game by literally just sitting and as the term that Mourinho coined, parking the bus, um, not quite to the extent that we've seen him do sometimes. But if we're going to try and go for a tactic of, of sorts similar to that, to put Marcus Rashford, a 19-year-old striker-come-winger who has never really had to defend in his life, because at youth level you rarely get situations uh, like this, particularly under 18 level, because... Um, just to remind people, he didn't play at under-21 level. He's only played at under-18. You wouldn't get a situation like that. He's not ready for that. So to put him on the left wing when Wayne Rooney comes on, we'll move on to Rooney in a second. I thought he did quite well. Um, to put him on the left wing to face, uh, I think it was Oxley chamberlain seems a, a strange decision to me because an inexperienced 19-year-old, maybe someone more experienced, would have just committed the foul, taken the booking, 
uh, or or someone who's just better defending. It seemed a, an odd move for Mourinho to do that. It did. I was very surprised that Rashford wasn't taken off or, as you said, switched with Rooney at some point. He hasn't had that kind of exposure, and I know that that the best way for someone to get that exposure, I guess, is is to to live in it. But at the end of the day, you have to think about whether that was really the right decision to to leave him in there when we know he's got no experience in that situation. And I'm I'm not going to blame the game on Rashford because at the end of the day, there were a lot of things that that could have gone better in the last five or ten minutes. It was a mistake, but you know what? It it happens. He'll learn from it. What what was poor was that defensively our organisation had been so good up to that point and it, even in the box it just seemed like there was a lot of disarray going on. I think Koscielny, um kind of ran into Phil, like not a foul but ran into Phil Jones and that kind of made the header for Giroud a bit easier so it was a bit of bad luck as well but I don't think you can blame Rashford there I think it was bad planning on Mourinho's part and also also pretty poor from the people on the pitch as well because alright the manager like Mourinho might, might be saying that Rashford should, should stay out wide but at some point, you have the experience of Rooney on the pitch. You have people like De Gea, who now need, who is now one of our most experienced players. Um, Carrick was still on the pitch at this point. Schneiderlin is a pretty experienced player now. Um, and these kind of players should have stepped up and realised what the situation was. Um, and you, you can we can blame Rashford all we want, but it, we know that Rashford isn't a great defender. So why was he left isolated against Oxlade Chamberlain one v one out wide? That I mean. And that comes down to all the other players as well, not just Rashford himself. Yep. On to some positives because there were plenty. Yeah. Well, well, there were only really 20 seconds of negatives. Um, the rest of the game was um, was pretty good to watch yeah. and, and surprising in all honesty. I thought we'd get absolutely battered. Yeah, a few a few injuries for Arsenal. Not their, not their perfect 11 uh, for Arsenal Wenger, but generally a very positive game. And the, the team is progressing. It's definitely clear. Not as quickly as we would have expected or wanted. Um, but... For me, and this is on a team level and, a, and on a Paul Pogba level, because what would a Manchester United discussion be without talk about Paul Pogba? Um, a gradual improvement is is more sustainable than a sudden improvement. And that, that goes for the team and Pogba, who I think is improving game by game, becoming having more of an impact on the game. And perhaps not an obvious impact like a goal, but certainly an impact in terms of doing what we signed him for, which wasn't just for goals. Um a few other little things. Uh, Antonio Valencia nailed on for the Ballon d'Or now. Um, <laughs> absolute certainty for that after that performance. And every other performance, clearly the best player in the Premier League at the moment. Um, and Michael Carrick, as as we well know, is, is good at football. Um, and, well, just, Mourinho has now said he's probably going to get another new contract, another, another year added onto this, and said, I wish I could have worked with him at 25, not 35. So... Come on, Jose, play him, play him every game or, or not <laughs> every game, but most games. And, and why matter? What a player. Uh, he, he needs to start getting more praise. Um, cause we criticized him quite a lot, him and Herrera last season, I think. Um, we, we had little rants about them because they were, they were getting off with, with quite a lot of poor things. But Matter's big game record is, it's just astonishing. I, I don't know when this is from, but Sky Sports did a thing of, uh, big game influence and out of the, the sort of matter-like players, the ones you class in that category. So the ones where we go matters, the best attacking midfield in the league, and then all the other people's fans go, no, Coutinho, and then everyone laughs at them and says, De Bruyne and Ozil, those kind of players. So matter Coutinho, Ozil, Silva, De Bruyne, Hazard, and Christian Eriksen, strange that he's in there. Matter has the, the biggest goal slash assist sort of impact on a game. That's, that's not everything in a big game, but 
Mata's record in terms of that is is truly brilliant in, in the big games like this. Liverpool, Arsenal, City does it against all of them. Yeah, I I must admit I I almost feel a little bit bad because I give him Mata a hard time since he joined United just because I uh, I don't I don't know I wasn't completely sold on him at first. I wasn't sure whether he was he was right for us, but the last year or so he has really won me over. And this season his form has been brilliant. I give him so much credit for the way he's come in especially given his history with Mourinho. Uh, he's come in, he's got his head down, and he's won the right to be one of the first names in the team sheet now. And it was nice when uh, when he came off recently that him and Mourinho shared a little hug. It was as if you know their relationship is being repaired somewhat. And it was great to see that. Um, and I just think Mata, his, his whole career, especially at Man United, there have been so many memorable moments of big games. Go, go back to the... The Juanfield uh, game, you know, two goals, including that spectacular uh, scissor kick. I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. I guess it was a scissor kick to win the game at Anfield. Um, and I, he, he's just such a, he, he's maybe not the most physically gifted player, but on the ball, he's great. His vision is amazing. And he steps up when we need him on so many occasions. Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, at Anfield, the City 4-2, key player in that. There's there's yep. just so many moments where you think, where we think back in the last three seasons uh, since he came. I think it was January 2014 when he came. 37 million paid that back at Anfield alone, <laughs> and then he just continued to do so. And and yeah, we criticised him last season, but the main reason for that was that no one in that team could get away without being criticised, except perhaps Rashford and Martial. But now becoming a key player, as is Herrera, and that sort of trio. If you see the Herrera, Carrick, Pogba, Mata in the starting lineup, you think, right, whoever's around this team, I think that's that's the right core of it or the, the right centre of it. Yeah, I, I have to agree. I think especially the Herrera, Carrick, Pogba trio in midfield, depending on what formation we play, because Mata could, I guess, play a bit further forward. But yeah, that, that Carrick, Herrera, Pogba trio, for me, is definitely the way to go. Herrera this season has, has really stepped up a level for me. He's been one of, the, one of the best players so far this season for us, and he's really proven that he he deserves to be, have that central midfield spot nailed down, keeping Fellaini out of the team at the moment. Which, you know, to, to, no matter what we think, Mourinho obviously likes Fellaini, so it's no mean feat to actually be doing that right now. Um, and he he's been great. Carrick brings us a level of experience, a level of control that we just don't have with other midfield combinations. Um, and then Pogba, I, I I'm not going to go into Pogba too much, but I I actually think that Pogba's playing a lot better than people give him credit for. Um, He's kind of flown, I guess not under the radar, because he's getting a lot of attention in a negative way. But people seem to be giving him a hard time because he, just because he's not maybe getting the flashy stats. But his general play in the last two months has actually been very, very good. I can't remember any particularly poor games that he's had. Um, and he's, I think, starting to settle in, settle in. And I think playing next to Herrera helps because Herrera is really all action. He's always involved in the game. And it allows Pogba the freedom, and especially knowing Carrick is there too, so it allows Pogba the freedom to roam. And I think they really showed on, on Saturday against Arsenal. Yeah, it's exactly that. The, the expectations for Pogba, I, I don't think, will ever be filled. Yeah, it was possible with Ronaldo to, to fulfil that sort of 80 million price tag. But I think as a midfielder, not a goal scorer, I don't think you can really ever fulfil such a, a big status and a price tag. And it's difficult for Pogba, but if he just continues gradually improving, then I don't really care what anyone else says because 
that's sort of what you want from from someone you spent that much money on um and and he's putting in the perfor- I I think he's playing well but a good performance for him is is what would be a brilliant performance for someone else it's sort of what I think so at the moment we're seeing an average performance from him and that's why it's called average but if someone yeah. else put in a performance similar to that say say Fellaini did it did that or Herrera did even Herrera did that and we and we rate Herrera very highly then I think it would be seen as a very good performance but for him because of the price tag because of the expectations it's just it's just average this, this is going to be a short episode because Feyenoord's on Thursday, so we'll have a quick youth and loan roundup and then move on to them. On Saturday, Callum Gribbin scored a hat-trick at Liverpool's Academy in a 3-3 draw, Elias Muta Sebtwai. Uh, difficult to pronounce that one. Saved two penalties in a brilliant game, two really exciting sides with players worth looking out for in both teams. It's fantastic for Gribbin, who now has four goals and an assist in three games since returning from a three-month absence with injury. To watch from the sidelines for him, uh, new signings, new figures like Angel Gomez, I'm sure you've heard of him now. We've spoken about him a couple of times. Tahith Chong, Nishan Burkhart, DJ Buffons, Indy Boonen. Uh, they've been scoring for fun. To watch from the sidelines for Gruen must have been difficult, but uh, he's come back and hit the ground running and, and getting 90 minutes a couple of weeks in a row, I think. So very good for him. At under-23 level, United faced a tough Sunderland side on Monday night with Sebastian Larsson and Jan Kirchhoff scoring the two goals for the Black Cats at Lay Sports Village. It'll be good to see United, I think, uh, certainly utilise the, the under-23 rules plus three overage players with a bit more. Use those rules a bit more. Obviously, we caution, um, but use them to our advantage a bit more. Memphis could be getting a minute. He's still under-23, so wouldn't even be an overage player, which seems ridiculous, but true. Uh, and... and like Timothy Fossimense is wasting this season, a first teamer but not involved in the in the match day squad. And yeah, it's great to be training with them, but he should be he should start playing for the under twenty threes. And, and this is particularly evident the the Memphis point um, in this under twenty three squad. Last time we spoke to you, Warren Joyce had just left, and I, I mentioned how he's had to deal with having no striker at this level. Um, and that, that's still true. We don't have a striker um, at the moment. It's it's one of Matty Willock or sometimes Devontae Redrun, sometimes Dimitri Mitchell playing up front. So so using a striker from the first team could be very beneficial, not just to, to the players coming down from the first team, but also for for the under-23 team, because at the moment they're not playing in their own positions, um, which isn't beneficial at all. On loan, meanwhile, Guillermo Varela is set to come back after the Bundesliga winter break. Eintracht Frankfurt confirmed this weekend, having been out since early September with an ankle ligament injury and he had operation on that. Andreas Pereira was the only United player in action, actually. Um, played 64 minutes for Granada against Valencia in a 1-1 draw on Sunday in La Liga. And Nanyanazai, Dean Henderson, both unused substitutes for Sunderland and Grimsby Town, respectively. While Cameron Borthwick-Jackson wasn't in the matchday squad for Wolves under new manager Paul Lambert, his first game in charge. Joel Pereira, meanwhile, had no game this weekend. Right, uh, let's move on to final to Thursday night. There's, there's not a huge amount to say about this. Except we, strangely for the Europa League, we actually really need to win. Yeah, it's awful that we've got ourselves into this situation. Yeah, like like you said, not not too much to say really. We need to win. Expect a heavily rotated squad. Yeah, I mean that that's that's really it. I I guess um, not really too much more to say about it. We sh- we should be beating Feyenoord. Um, obviously we didn't last time, but at home you normally would expect us to win. Our home form recently suggests that maybe we won't, but. Hopefully, with a few fresh faces in the squad can help freshen things up and we finally get a positive result in the Europa League. 
Yeah, uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan said to be involved. Mourinho said, "I don't know. I don't know how I'd react if I was Mkhitaryan." He basically said, uh, "He he can't handle the pr- pressure of the Arsenal game, but he's going to be playing on Thursday." So a uh, positive and a negative for Mkhitaryan there. But it'll be good to see him, um, and hopefully with less pressure against a, a lesser side, as we think. But we have often us- underestimated teams in the Europa League. Basically, in every single game we've played in the Europa League, in fact, as as I'm sure Zoria Luhansk and well, more FC Midtjylland would tell you, and Basel back in 2011. Uh, God, that was bad. Um, but uh, and this sort of relates to a question we've got from Ross McCloyd via Twitter: Can Mkhitaryan get the groove back, or is he the next Kagawa slash Cleberson slash Liam Miller? And I'm sure we could add many names to that list. Um, what do you think? I I, I genuinely think he can. Uh, I mean, looking at Angel Di Maria, different situation definitely because he was getting played. Um, mm. But and and this is slightly different because I think one of the, the main issues was Dean really that he didn't speak English, whereas Mkhitaryan does. But foreign players need two seasons at least. I don't I don't think you can just discount them after a season because the Premier League, even though it's not the best quality in the world, um, it's definitely very different. In fact, any, moving from any league to another one is very different. Some people settle straight away, other people don't. Mkhitaryan... I think he's going to get chances because Mourinho seems to be pleased with the fact that he stopped complaining. Um, we don't know if he's complaining in the first place and he's just got his head down, has trained, proving himself. And I think if he does put the performances in, he'll be played. I don't think it's a yeah. matter of a relationship. I just don't, I think Mourinho was absolutely horrified as we all were by what he saw in the derby. I, I, I actually have quite a lot of respect for Mkhitaryan at the moment because I think you're right. It would have been very easy for him to come out and throw the toys out the pram and and really mouth off about Mourinho and the club, but he's not. It seems like he's gone into training, got his head down, and tried to earn his place back in the team. Um, I feel sorry for him as well, because I think he was harshly treated after the derby. He didn't play well, but he was by no means the only one in that first half. And I don't think that one game should really define the fact that he's then not in the team for, what, another two, two and a half months. Um, but I I agree. I do think he, he can um, get back to his get back to his old self. We we know how good a player Mkhitaryan is. He's proved that in the last few seasons at Dortmund. Um, but I think I think you're right about needing time to adapt. It's all about giving getting him in an, in an environment where he can utilize the talent that we know he has. At the moment, he hasn't been able to do so. But I genuinely do think that he that he if he's given game time, will come good. I also think he would actually really work in in the current setup. If you, if you had Mata through the middle and Mkhitaryan on the right. I think that's a really expansive and really exciting um, forward line there with potentially Rashford on the left. So I hope he does. I hope he does get some more game time. I hope that he plays well against Final because I think that might be a defining game for him. I think if if he doesn't perform, then it it could be bad news for him in terms of trying to get game time in the next few weeks. Uh, and on our second question um, from my brother, strangely. Uh, can Herrera become a Carrick-like player to anchor the midfield long term, or is he just too attacking by nature? Uh, I, w- I I think he he is too attacking. Honestly, I don't think he's the kind of person that will that would take too well to that role of really just sitting and anchoring the back four. Um, may- maybe when he's older in his career, when maybe he he needs to adapt his role because he might not have the engine to to keep being a box box. But Herrera Herrera's biggest strength in my opinion is the fact that he is a genuine box-to-box midfielder he is someone who will go from corner to corner of the pitch he's very adept going forward but he's very combative in defense sometimes a bit too much he's quite rash and was in the Paul Skull kind of mold defensively sometimes but 
I can't see him becoming the new Carrick um, personally. I think he will retain and remain as that pure box-to-box midfielder. But he, I think he will be the slightly more defensive out of him and Pogba. Yeah, I basically agree with that. Well, whether he can be as important as Carrick, I think he can. But to, to actually anchor the midfield long-term, I, I don't think is realistic because while he's had some good games there against uh, the the elite opposition, I don't think he's got the, the discipline at the moment to, to do so. So, yeah, he is just too attacking by nature. That's all we have time for on Series 2, Episode 13 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. As always, um, we'll be back with a bit more regularity after this one. Should have an episode out every Monday night if you want to set a reminder and listen to us regularly. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy another busy couple of weeks. Um, we're Feyenoord, then West Ham on Sunday, and then West Ham on Wednesday again. Strange lineup of fixtures. And then after that, we've got even more. So enjoy them. Jack, where can we find you on Twitter? At UTD Tapes, T A I T. And you can find me at Harry Robinson 64 And if you want to follow the podcast itself, at UTD Weekly Pod at POD. Again, thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.